Welcome to the Stanford Psychology Podcast. I'm Angie, and for this week's episode, we plan something special. Each year, Stanford Psychology Department hosts Pass to PhD, a free, open to public information session on how to apply to PhD programs and research positions in psychology. This year's event is scheduled to happen on Saturday, October 16th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and the application deadline is on September 17th, which is a little more than a week from today. In this episode, we invited Lauren and Camilla, two pivotal figures in the shaping of this event. We talked about what this event is about, how it came to be, and what will happen in the future, as well as the joy and challenges of organizing and planning events like Pass to PhD. Without further ado, here's our conversation. For joining us on the podcast today, this is actually the first special episode we hold, which I think is perfect for the very special event that we are going to talk about today, Pass to PhD. So we have Camilla and Laura. How about we just start with you guys introducing yourself a little bit? We can start with Camilla. Sure. Hi. Thanks for having us. Um, so my name is Camilla Griffiths. I am a recent graduate of the psych department. I just graduated in June with my PhD in social in the social area, and I'm starting a postdoc in Spark uh, this coming fall. And I have been involved with past PhD since its inception in 2017, I believe. I'm Lauren. I am in a rising fourth year in the PhD program in the affective science area, um, studying kind of trajectories of reward processing in the brain in relation to the development of depressive symptoms in uh, adolescence. And I was first involved with this event as a volunteer, I think in 2018, um, and have since been um, playing more of an active role in the planning for the past couple of years. Awesome. Thank you so much. Because I think, Laura, you are the main organizer for the event this year. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the event? What is going to happen and who is the event for? Yeah, so um, the event will take place uh, on Saturday, October 16th of this year. And um, generally, the event consists of two different aspects. So there are informational sessions led by fantastic faculty and graduate students And then there are workshop sessions, which are one-on-one platforms for uh, people to craft their um, either research assistant application materials or uh, kind of prospective PhD application with a graduate student. Um, This event is for um, people who are interested in the field of psychology. I know some other programs that are sort of similar to ours cast a broader net, but um, we are focusing on people who are wanting to go into into psych. And um, it's really designed to uh, diversify the pipeline of um, people who are coming into these programs. And so we're especially um, targeting these events towards um, underrepresented minorities. 
That's amazing.、Um, so, Camila, I know you just mentioned that you are kind of with this program from the very beginning. And、uh, when I first reached out to Lauren to talk about this podcast, she mentioned that you are one of the kind of the founders of this event. So, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the beginning of this event and how did the idea of organizing this event emerge, and how has things things been changed. Yeah, happy to talk about that. So、uh, this event started as a way to provide some program that sort of filled a need in the psych department and in the field in general. And so it was myself and Anna Kazenzan, who is a graduate of the、um, neuroscience area、uh, from from a few years ago. We were on the diversity committee、uh, in its first year. Um, and we originally, one of our sort of main goals was to not only diversify sort of our department, but also the pipeline of students,、uh, underrepresented students who enter the field.、Uh, and originally, we were sort of conceiving of have of designing a program that was sort of a post back program for people interested in social, in not just social psychology, but psychology programs in general,、um, and providing. An opportunity for students to get research experience,、uh, which is a sort of necessary prerequisite to applying for graduate school. But at the time, we didn't really have ways to fund such a program, and it seemed like kind of a, a huge undertaking for the diversity committee in its first year. And so we saw an opportunity to apply for funding at Stanford for up to fifteen hundred dollars for、um, programs that. Included or addressed issues related to diversity, and so we decided to try to apply for that money to to have a, a much smaller scale program that would provide information and guidance for people interested in entering the field and starting PhD programs, especially people from underrepresented、um, populations. And so we applied for that money with the idea of having a one to two day workshop,、um, given the the. Amount of of funding, we couldn't do much more than that, and we modeled the application or the idea for the program off of a a program that the University of Michigan had been doing for a couple years at that point.、Um, and so we reached out to the organizers of that program to ask for sort of some guidance or some models for how they had done it. And at the time, I think that that was sort of the only program of its kind.、Um, and I think in the last few years, there've been. Several other、uh, programs modeled after Michigan's as well as our own,、um, and so we decided to put together a rough itinerary of what such a program could look like, which would include sort of informational sessions as well as hands-on workshops, as Lauren mentioned.、Um, and so that was, I believe, in the spring. We applied in the spring of 2017. Um, and so the first event was in the fall of 2017, and in its original conception, which I believe is still the case, it was just open to people from the Bay Area because、uh, we weren't able to really fund travel for people coming from other parts of the country. And so it originally started as a smaller scale version of sort of a dream program that provides resources, information,、um, and guidance to students from underrepresented areas. And、uh, groups who are interested in applying for PhD programs. 
Well, I have to say uh, quite a lot has changed in the past couple of years. So uh, given that we're sort of restricted to a virtual background, regardless, we're actually reaching students around the world now. So we're not restricted to the Bay Area. Um, so we have hundreds of people who attended last year from all around the world. So. That's really exciting to hear. Change. <laughs> but, you know, as you were saying, these used to be in person where you could have that face-to-face contact, really meaningful, deep interaction. And it's different when it's virtual. But. Yeah, it opens up a whole new space when it's virtual and people can come from anywhere. So that's really exciting to hear. Yeah. I'm actually really interested to hear you guys say more about like what's the kind of the differences between doing this type of events, um, either like the in-person format or the virtual, because... I'm thinking that I only got to involve this project, like this program in this like virtual format. I joined the department last year and that was like, well, the year when everything on Zoom begins. Um, But I'm wondering like in the future down the road, do you guys envision to keep the virtual components in order for to kind of secure a broader reach? I think that's an excellent question. Of course, uh, the benefit is reaching more people when you have a virtual platform, but the, the drawback is, or information sessions, for example, which are open to everyone who apply, um, there are no cameras on. So um, you're sort of viewing um, faculty and graduate students. And again, um, lack of face-to-face contact in general and, and, and even more removed when you're muted and your camera's off. Though you can answer, or sorry, you can ask questions um, throughout the program. Um, I think, in a perfect world in the future, um, as Camilla said, more and more programs have sort of adopted these kinds of events. And I, I hope that that continues to be the case and um, we can have a, a broader outreach in some senses and also keep the, the quality of the one-on-one workshop uh, to a higher level than what might be completely possible in a virtual setting. Um, so the short answer is, Um, I think keeping some components uh, virtual would probably be beneficial because we can reach a broader audience, but trying to maintain that connection on a a smaller scale is important. Yeah, one of my favorite, I mean, I haven't experienced the event in a virtual context, so it's it's hard for me to speak to that. But one of my favorite parts of the in-person event, the several years that I took part was A, having the sort of, you know, visual feedback from participants during the panels and the informational sessions for sure, but also the sort of more informal moments uh, of the of the day when when it's in person. So we had, you know, lunches and coffee breaks and a dinner at the end of the day where participants could ask sort of informally, you know, about the process of applying to grad school, or maybe they heard someone on a panel who was telling their personal story and wanted to follow up with them because they really res- it really resonated with them and they you know wanted to ask more informally and in sort of a one-on-one context about that person's experience uh, and those sort of informal moments really felt to me like a huge benefit of this kind of uh, program because one of the goals of this program was to provide not just factual information but also connections to people who are outside of the structure or pathways that typically get people into grad school. So, you know, as part of a wealthy research institution, we have access to mentors and people and networks 
who make it so much easier to apply to grad school. There is so much unsaid and hidden information uh, that comes from being in these spaces. And if you are at a smaller institution or an institution that isn't big on research or um, an underfunded institution, but you are interested in applying to grad school, there is just so much that's lost in terms of the connections that you can make, the information that you have access to, um, and the people that you have access to. And so I think part of the benefit of this program, even though it was a lot smaller, was to give people uh, a touch point or a contact uh, to sort of this more um, resource-rich and information-rich contexts that for so long have been the only access point into PhD programs. And part of the purpose is to broaden uh, that access and to provide, um, like I said, a, a touch point um, into this pathway that's um, historically just been really closed off. And so I think that that's harder to replicate in a virtual setting. Um, and so I think in a dream world, the event could still be in person, but we have more resources to bring more people um, or we do the event multiple times a year um, where we can reach more people, which is the benefit of a virtual setting, but we don't lose the sort of uh, the benefits of having an in-person connection with all of the participants. Yeah, since we're talking about the experiences, I wonder if I can invite you guys to share a little bit more about what has been your kind of favorite or the most rewarding experiences you have had with this event? I uh, I have several. Um, I think a lot of my most vivid memories are from the first year um, when this was something really new. Uh, there were sort of two pieces that really stand out to me. One was the sort of glowing responses that we got from participants saying that, you know, they can't imagine having applied to grad school without this information and without these sort of one-on-one -on -one sessions. Uh, because like I said, a lot of people don't have access to close access to people who have gone through this process. And so just hearing people's experiences, having someone who's gone through this process, look at your materials, um, people just felt like that was an invaluable experience. And so it felt really good to feel like we were providing a service and a a resource that was actually useful to people. Um, and we just have time and time again in the sort of follow-up surveys that we've sent out and in the event itself had people really expressing gratitude and uh, the extent to which it was useful. So that people's reactions and people's responses have been for me, the most rewarding part of being part of the program. The other is actually slightly different and it's about how people in the department actually showed up for this event. Um, I think because this event started in the first year ever of the diversity committee in the department, there was definitely the feeling that, you know, we're not sure if people care about diversity. We're not sure if people uh, are going to show up for something like this because there's never been this big of an event that's, that's about diversity in the department. And that first year when we had, you know, dozens of grad students show up on a Saturday morning and a handful of faculty members show up on a Saturday morning to do this event for free, just volunteering their time. Um, that was really, really rewarding for me as well because it, it communicated, oh, this is a place where people care about this. Um, and it was people who 
hadn't come to other diversity related events or hadn't been engaged in the diversity committee otherwise, but they were showing up enthusiastic and excited to take part in this event and also gave similar positive feedback afterwards saying, you know, I didn't expect to enjoy this so much. I didn't expect to uh, be so impacted by being a part of this. Um, And I think that made them more likely to be engaged in diversity events moving forward. Um, And so I think the event both has like a positive effect externally to the people who participate, but also internally for creating a more inclusive and more engaged uh, community within the psych department. Uh, And I think the involvement of students and faculty has only grown um, in the last five years of the event. And that I think uh, is really positive for for the the psych community at Stanford. Yeah, Camilla, I can't thank you enough again for having this fantastic idea and really putting in a ton of legwork to get it started. I think that to your point, um, it was so well received by people who have attended and people who were volunteering that it almost, the event almost kind of plans itself at this point. I mean, faculty are quick to become involved Um, We have hundreds of people signing up who are expressing interest in the event. And so um, it was just so well uh, designed and created that everything now is just sort of um, orchestrating an already fantastic system. And um, I I am working with a lot of excellent volunteers in the diversity committee, and it it definitely still takes a a village to get it started up uh, every year, but it... um, is really well known and well received at this point. I think the most rewarding aspects for me um, sort of similarly have been the one-on-one workshops. Um, students come in really, really passionate and prepared and excited to be working with us. And um, it's just wonderful to, to be able to answer some of their questions and uh, play any kind of role in their success. It's very clear that the people who are um, applying to these programs are all going to make a a fantastic contribution to the field. And so being able to uh, have any um, assistance in sort of their application processes is wonderful. And yeah, engaging with the broader psychology community to get this event up and running um, is great. Yeah, I have to second this too, because I was a volunteer last year, my first year, and I think one of the most it's probably going to be the best day that I had last year, which is when, um, well, actually it's this year, early this year, where the one of the participants who participated in a workshop actually sent me a, like a follow-up email after her application season, thanking me that like my feedback to her like statement of purpose is actually really helpful. She didn't change much other than narratives. It got her into one of her dream school. And I'm like, wow, like I can't believe that actually has such a like a big impact on people. Um, Yeah, so actually, I also kind of want to touch base on something that Camilla mentioned earlier, which is um, um, you mentioned that this program was kind of inspired by what University of Michigan had at that time. And I also heard that there are a lot of events similar to PASP to PhD being offered by other universities. So a concrete question I have is, I wonder if you would recommend someone to attend multiple information sessions like pass your PhD, considering that they're all kind of designed to provide information about grad school and research positions. 
Yeah. I mean, I think if people have the capacity to apply to multiple and the time to attend multiple, I I think that it's probably useful, uh, especially if you feel like you really don't have enough information about the process. Um, And I don't know enough about the other programs right now to say how similar or different they are. I'm sure there's going to be lots of overlap. Um, But if you're, especially if you're thinking about applying to some of the institutions where these events are taking place, it might be useful because then you get perspective from students who are at these different institutions. And even though at least ours is not at all specifically about Stanford, uh, students are going to speak from their experiences and their experiences are heavily shaped by where they are. And so for the purposes of just hearing perspectives of grad students at different institutions, which can be really useful for shaping how you think about yourself being in one of these spaces, it might be useful to uh, apply or try to attend multiple multiple programs. Um, I also want to just, this is an unrelated point, but I want to make sure to say that I was involved in the inception of this program, but I was part of a team of people who like really spearheaded the beginning of this event, including Anna and Katie Handren uh, and Natalia Velez and Mike Frank and Greg Walton. Um, They were all like really integral to starting this and sort of putting all of the details together to, to get it started and a lot of whom stayed involved throughout their time at Stanford. Um, so I just want to make sure to shout shout out the sort of team effort that got this going. Yeah, I, I will say from the perspective of um, kind of having to be forced to narrow the number of applications, all of which are incredibly strong and um, well thought out, we tend to give preference to people who haven't attended a similar event. I think the the ultimate goal is to provide information to people who don't have access to this information typically. So our hope is that if you've attended a similar event, you've been given some insight into information, but Camilla raises a really important point and might change my perspective on when we're trying to narrow the applications down for the workshop uh, section, that maybe, you know, people who have attended other events, it would still be very helpful for them to attend this anyway. So Maybe this is also like changing topic a little bit, but this is the first year that I'm kind of getting involved in this organization process. And I'm very astonished by the amount of work there is in terms of the planning and organizing and everything. So I'm just kind of wondering, like in an ideal world, what could happen better to make these events go smoother or to the directions that you guys may have in mind originally? Like what has been the most challenging experience you've had in terms of the planning of the programs? I think related to what we were commenting on before is not being able to, again, with the expansion in the virtual format and welcoming hundreds of people to attend the information sessions, not being able to accommodate everyone in the one-on-one workshop. Um, I think typically with a lot of the feedback that, aspect of the program is really beneficial to people who have attended. And so not being able um, to, to meet everyone there is a little challenging. We're restricted by the number of graduate student, uh, research assistant, postdoc volunteers um, who show up. And so currently we have about um, 40 volunteers so we can accommodate about 80 students. And so I think the most challenging part is not being able to reach everyone at that level and to meet them 
um, in, in a personalized way, especially in the, the webinar, you know, camera off setting, um, it, it's really challenging. And so I think in the future, trying to be more resourced in terms of who's volunteering, um, maybe broaden our affiliation with other universities to get more PhD students um, from other universities involved in our event, or uh, even broadening across different departments. So maybe uh, the Department of Sociology could be involved, just like somehow trying to increase um, the number of people we have on our side so that we can reach, you know, almost everyone who is interested and um, deserves to have a similar individualized experience as well. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think the like selection process was by far the most challenging, especially at the beginning, because we didn't know like what the selection criteria necessarily was, because the goal was just to provide this information to people who didn't have it. And there's unfortunately so many people who don't have access to this information. And so it felt like you kind of had to pick arbitrary selection criteria to make one person more deserving to come to the event than the other, uh, because I think theoretically anyone who is interested in a PhD from an underrepresented group who doesn't have access to not only the information, but people who can guide them through this process uh, is, uh, is eligible and fits the mission of this of the event. Um, there have been in the past conversations with, there's uh, the, the Dean of Equity and Inclusion at the Ed School heard about the event and was really interested in doing something similar at the education school. I don't think that anything sort of came to fruition, but we had had several conversations about what that would look like to sort of join forces. And I think that that would help us again to reach a broader audience. Um, and I think that there's a model of this event that where there's sort of like an individualized version of the event for each department or school at Stanford or in a university. Um, Cause I think the information in a lot of cases is really tailored to a specific field. Um, and in that version, you're sort of like pooling resources from the university that allow you to again, sort of broaden the reach. I think the, the theme here is sort of uh, broadening the reach is, is part of the goal, but is difficult without sort of unlimited resources. Um, and so I would say that's the most, that was the most challenging. And in the beginning, I think it was also challenging to figure out exactly what information to include um, because it's hard to know um, like what people don't know. Um, and so a, a process of sort of pooling from the people on the diversity committee and others sort of what pieces of information they found most useful in their application process and trying to tailor the resources um, to address those things. But I think there's probably still areas that we're missing. Um, and so I think like constantly sort of trying to tweak the content so that it really addresses blind spots or missing um, missing information uh, uh, for people in different contexts from different backgrounds. Um, I think there are so many sort of secret un untold or unsaid sort of things that we all get by being part of these privileged spaces. You know, for example, knowing to email a faculty member to know if they're accepting students the following year is not written down anywhere, but it's something that if you're in already in a research lab or you're working with a faculty member, like they will tell you, but otherwise that information just exists uh, and is not accessible to someone who doesn't have those connections. And so 
identify, continuing to identify what other things like that exist um, that we should be filling in, I think is sort of a continuous challenge for running this kind of program. Yeah, I think just to, to add a little bit more to what Camilla is saying, absolutely. The, the ultimate goal is to, to broaden the reach without compromising the quality. And I think it's a constant push and pull there of like, we want to reach more people, but how can we reach them in as much depth? And related to that point, I just want to kind of urge current PhD um, students from every university. Um, you know, this may not be everyone's experience, but for me, uh, again, when I was applying, um, you know, I had a lot of people in my corner who were giving me feedback. I kind of had, you know, gained insider knowledge from talking to my friends in the medical school and, um, you know, knowing like who is already in graduate school and reaching out to them. And uh, I think the best thing you can do being in a program like this and having access to this kind of secretive or, um, yeah, this secretive information, uh, the best thing you can kind of do is pay it forward. And so even if your program doesn't have an established or organized event like Path to PhD, um, I've seen a lot of students or PIs on Twitter sort of say that they're available for kind of, um, I forget the exact word, but mentoring in some capacity. And so um, even if, you know, again, your institution doesn't have an established event, um, there are still ways to reach people who, who need access to this information. And it's, again, a really rewarding process. So I encourage people to do it. So another challenge to this event continuing and growing in the future is that it can be really hard for grad students who have a lot of other commitments, a lot of other, a lot of, a lot of other demands on their time to feel like this work is rewarded or that this work is contributing to their career. Uh, and a lot of times it's students who are taking time uh, and energy out of their research to work on something like this. And disproportionately that often is students of color and women. And so I think a huge way that this can grow and improve in the future is for the department or you know, outside funds to actually compensate students for their, their work on something like this, uh, because I think it's going to increasingly require more time and effort if we want to grow the event. And that's time and effort that is taken away from our professional um, time and effort. And this is important work that should be compensated and that should be uh, acknowledged as valuable. Um, and so far it's, it's purely a, a volunteer thing and it's purely done by people who have sort of vested interest or are especially um, interested uh, and care about these issues. And so I think it's important to note that for this work to continue long-term and for it to uh, be able to grow, there needs to be an acknowledgement of sort of what that work takes from people and uh, that it should be valued uh, in a way that either helps people professionally um, or uh, rewards them financially. Yeah, the reality is, again, alongside a very uh, passionate team of, I don't know the exact number, but no more than than 10 uh, graduate students were we're putting in like hours upon hours entirely separate from this actual event to to get it going and to get it being successful and oftentimes this is just um, added to all of our other responsibilities we're not able to kind of 
do less research or be less involved in our meetings and other commitments. So um, I think that a lot of the stunt in our ability to grow is um, related to the amount of time and resources that we can reasonably commit within the restraints of the program currently. Awesome. Um, so I want to be mindful with time and I really want to kind of end our conversation with some more future oriented conversation. So I know this program has become part of the department's tradition. So which year is t- this year? Is that the fifth or the sixth year that we are holding this in the department? The fifth. Okay. <laughs> the fifth. Um, yeah. So I wonder if uh, what's your guys thinking in terms of moving forward? What's your vision for this program in five years, in 10 years? I guess I'll take this. Uh, so I think moving forward, it would be great to, as we've said, sort of expand the scope of, of the program, um, which I think requires additional funding um, and <laughs> to be able to reach people outside. Cause when it's an in-person event, we can't necessarily pay for travel for people who are coming from outside of the Bay area. Um, and so I think increasing the scope requires increasing resources to bring people in from further um, while also maintaining sort of a small enough event that we can provide one-on-one consultations. Uh, I think there's also the possibility of expanding the size of the event in terms of the time. So Michigan's program, for example, is a full weekend um, as opposed to just one day. And so you could also imagine expanding the scope by having more time for for people to spend here. Um, And if you have a two-day event, then you can have, you know, one set of volunteers on Saturday, another set of volunteers on Sunday. And so that way you can potentially even, you know, double the size of the participants who, um, who attend because you uh, are not forcing sort of everything into one day. Uh, but again, all of this is contingent on the commitment of additional resources that allow for not only travel to the event, but also then sort of, you know, uh, accommodations for people who are coming from further who need to stay somewhere while they're here. Um, so I think generally, it, because the mission is to provide as much information as possible to as many people as possible, uh, expanding the scope, whether that's in the size of the size of the event or the duration of the event, I think is a direction I could see it going in. Another hope that I have, and I completely agree with Camilla, what Camilla was just saying, that would be fantastic to have more resources. Um, but I, I hope that our diversity committee can meet with other universities or uh, diversity committees who are interested in adopting a similar event. Um, and trying to help more universities and more students sort of lead a, a similar initiative and program, especially if we decide to keep the in-person component um, and try to keep it local. I think it's very important that these are sort of widespread across um, a lot of different areas so that people can continue to engage with this material. And so, um, yeah, I think trying to encourage other universities um, or even student-led organizations to to adopt a similar model would be a big goal. Um, and if you know our committee can can reach that broader audience, I could also imagine sort of jumping off of Lauren's point. You know, collaborating with other schools. So, for example, if Bay Area universities were to join forces, 
and like put on one like large weekend long event um, that pooled resources and that was able to reach a larger crowd because it was, you know, it was Berkeley's network as well as Stanford's, as well as UC, as the UC's, as well as uh, Laney College in Oakland, like a lot of different universities sort of committing to doing a big event where students and volunteers from all of those networks uh, can contribute to a similar kind of event. Again, because this information isn't university specific. Um, and so I think it's very possible to have just as impactful an event uh, that cuts across universities. I'd like to extend a sincere thank you to Camilla Griffiths and Anna Krasenzan for founding this Past to PhD event five years ago. I want to thank our more veteran members of the diversity committee, including Sai Awalua, Akshay Jagadish, Sama Radwan, Andrea Sims, and Nikki Sullivan for their continued efforts over the last year and a half. And I'd like to welcome and thank our new members, Angie Cow, Lee Chu, Nicole Corso, Emily Kubota, Catherine Thomas, and Jenny Yang. Um, we work alongside excellent faculty, including Kalanit Grill Spector, Stephen Roberts, Claude Steele, and Greg Walton. And we are so uh, grateful for the support of the Diversity Innovation Fund.